Welcome to Agile in Toronto at Night, a badass Agile show. This week, we feature an old friend, Wayne Hetherington. Wayne's an Agile coach, and he's one of these guys that even if you've never heard of him, you've probably worked with him. His attitude and his affect is inspiring and contagious, and I want you to get to know him. So come on in, guys. Table's ready. Or did your favorite drink? Sit down with us and enjoy this conversation with Wayne Hetherington. Wayne Hetherington. Man, it's been a while. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. I want to say it's been maybe mm, two years since we've had even a phone conversation. Mm, yeah, I'm going to say probably, uh, well, I know it's been at least that since we met in person, but uh, yeah, yeah uh, conversation, I don't know if we, if we talked we did. before that. Or, you know, yeah. We were talking about Agile North. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the meetup that was ill-fated. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, uh, what have you been up to? Catch us up. Uh, all kinds of stuff has been happening uh, recently. Um, I guess the most, uh, the, the biggest thing that's on most people's minds and on mine too is the uh, the whole lockdown with the COVID-19. Hmm. And uh, that's put a, a wrench in everybody's works. Uh, really made us think about how we adapt, I think. So it's, uh, it's great for all the agile people to <laughs> really put into practice some of the things that we're preaching. But um, for myself, uh, I was working with uh, Agile 42 uh, as one of their coaches and I was just nicely getting into the, the, the job and getting to know the people and some of the, the uh, contracts and clients that they had. And then this whole thing hit and it hit us pretty hard. So um, unfortunately, Agile 42 in North America has shut down. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's just temporary and, and uh, it'll come back later, but uh, it's a little hard to keep things going I hope in the so. current economy. So, hey, Are you finding that a lot of agile opportunities have somewhat diminished since this all started? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I would think that uh, uh, I used to get inquiries about uh, availability in, in different positions or if I knew somebody or a, um, you know, a reference, uh, a referral, uh, probably, oh, I don't know, at least once a week, sometimes more than that. Uh, that's dried right up now. I, I rarely get people asking me if I know somebody who's available, um, maybe once in a month. Wow, so I, I definitely see it. I see, I see a big change for sure. Things have slowed down a lot. Too, there's a lot of hiring going on, though, in general, right? There's a lot of postings. If you're in marketing, if you're in you know, human resources, people are hiring all over the place. To what do you attribute the fact that maybe, and, and I have no data to back this up, but maybe there is more of a dent in the agile scrum master coaching agile expert space. Why would we be taking a hit more than, than other job titles or professions? You know, that's a that's a really good question. And uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about that myself. Uh, to tell you the truth, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I have 
theories. <laughs> I want to hear them. Uh, I have theories too, and I'm, I'm going <laughs> to share them whether you want to hear them or not. So you might as well do the same. What do you think? Uh, well, well, I'm thinking that uh, uh, perhaps not so much Scrum Master, but more Coach for sure. Coach is one of those nice to have things mm-hmm. that, that companies, uh, you know, if they're flourishing and they can afford it and, uh, it, you know, it's available, then they'll, they'll take it. But as soon as uh, crunch time comes and, and it becomes hard uh, or you have a budget restraint or uh, some kind of um, employer, employee restraint that you can't get through, then the nice to haves are the first things that get cut so that the, the coaches uh, no longer are offered the contracts or perhaps they're reduced in, in capacity or in time or in number. I agree. And, and uh, that's sort of backed up by the fact that full-time permanent opportunities for coaches seem to be level. It's the contract ones that have all but disappeared. Now, I also wonder if people are suspicious or they don't trust the fact that because we have the word coach in our title, it's something that you can't do via Zoom over the phone. You have to be in person somehow. So I wonder if people are of that mindset that maybe until we get back into the office this just isn't it doesn't make sense yeah i you know, that that could be part of it i i tended to think that way myself um probably if you had asked me six months ago i would have said no that you know you can only do this this kind of stuff in person or it's more effective in person i i still think it's probably more effective than other options when you're in person but that doesn't mean you can't do it remotely and you can't do it over zoom uh, we're, we're seeing some pretty good success. I'm having some pretty fantastic conversations over a video conference right now, and uh, it's working really well for me. So I'm actually surprised at how well I've seen people adapt to it, and even myself, how I've tried to adapt to it, and it's working much better than I thought it ever could. That is, so. That was going to be my next question to you, or what are some things you assumed coming into this when you first heard hey, this could last for months. What are some things you assumed and where else were you pleasantly surprised? Uh, well, uh, of course, everybody's scared. Like if this is going to last for months, uh, uh, of course, we're, we're worried about our health and our families, first of all, um, how we're going to protect ourselves, how we're going to keep everybody and, and the kids in school healthy, all of that. Uh, secondarily, what's the economy going to look like? Am I going to have a job? Is somebody going to be willing to hire me? Those types of things are always big worries on your mind, mm-hmm. and, and I think they still are. Uh, in a in a secondary nature, I, I tried to, with some of the clients that I had worked with, uh, tried to uh, have the business people start thinking about different ways of working because of, of course, in the past we we could choose different ways to work, but with the lockdown, we're forced into it. We have no choice. That's the way it's going to be. So as we've adjusted to that and we've tried to make it work given the constraints that we're in we're finding ways that you know it will work differently and perhaps much better than we had thought in the past so my question to clients has been if this works better why not choose to do that later on as as we have more choices available to us and perhaps we even enjoy this maybe it even works better than we thought it would so We'll continue doing it even when we can go back to the office. So, you know, that was the message I was trying to preach. I think it was maybe a little bit selfish from my point of view because I wanted to make sure that I, uh, I had a job now and I had a job later. But then I start thinking about it for myself. Uh, you know, as I'm doing this work and I'm adjusting to it, 
I'm seeing ways that I work differently and I'm trying to pick out aspects of it that I think are actually better than when I was in the office in person. And I, and I think there are some and I think it can work better. And I might even choose to do this myself as companies start to go back to work. It has been an interesting study in happiness. So if, you know, so often us agile proponents will frequently say it's not about better, faster, cheaper. It's about happier teams. Well, okay. If this is doable and it saves people, I mean, you and I live a little north of the city, so we both have a massive commute if we're working in the financial core. And if we can save people that three hours a day of, you know, stressful commute, sitting in traffic or rushing to get the commuter train, maybe we're making a better world. Yeah, I would definitely say uh, for myself, and, and I've talked to quite a few uh, people that I'm, I'm working with, and they say the same thing. Uh, my, my commute time is reduced. I've got more time while I'm at home, obviously, with my, my family, but I have more time to devote to my family. My costs for, for the commute are way, way down. And I know for myself, that's quite a few hundred dollars a month <laughs> that I'm saving just in, in train fare, let alone uh, if you had having to drive that time that uh, would just be horrible but um yeah no that, that i think that's one of the biggest pluses uh, on the downside because you're at home all the time i've noticed quite a few people complaining that they're working more hours yes. mm -hmm. yeah so i think you have to be careful you have to be aware of what's going on and you have to pick and choose you have to know your boundaries and set some limits for yourself uh but if, if you're careful to do that i think it can work better than if you were uh having to go into the office physically every day. I agree. And I, do you feel like this is one area where we as coaches can add some new value by helping people navigate the, the recalibration that you have to do to working completely remotely? Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. In, in fact, uh, uh, getting back to what we were talking about before, how the coaches are nice to have in an ideal circumstance, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, you know, if I've got lots of money left over in my paycheck and I can afford to put some into my RSP, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll save for a rainy day. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put some away. But when, when the budget's tight and I need to buy food, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about saving, not even a cent. It doesn't go in there. And I, and I think that's a, you know, it's reactionary and you're, and you're trying to look after your immediate needs, but it is a kind of short-term, short-sighted approach. And it's probably in those times that it's best to invest at least a little bit anyway in some of the longer term and more impactful goals. And that's why I think coaching is still important, maybe even more so in difficult and uncertain times. It's not nice to have that you need to cut when you're, when you're having trouble. It's almost a necessity in order to become better during the difficult times. And, uh, I, I think smart companies are realizing that. And if we as coaches can position ourselves in a way that we really do bring value to a company during the difficult times by doing things like helping them to adjust to a new work environment, helping the teams communicate better with different tools, uh, helping, uh, helping us to become as productive or more productive than we were before, I think that's extremely valuable to a company. So let's put a finer point on that. Agile is an industry with a big bottom, meaning it's a pyramid in the sense that there's more talent flooding the system, more new potential coaches, new potential scrum masters coming up. It's ballooning. So you probably get this too. 
a lot of the younger, newer people will ask you, how do I get a job as a scrum master? What do I have to do to get hired? So if the value, as you suggest, and I think it's a great suggestion, is around optimizing your investments during lean time. So don't think scarcity, think future. How do you, how would you sell that to a company? <laughs> it's a tough question uh, and I know it's tough. Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm doing it on purpose. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Chris, if I had that one figured out, maybe I'd be rich by now. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's similar, and I've thought about this for uh, for quite a few years now in, in different contexts with different people and, and uh, working as a scrum master and then as a coach. Uh, and I think it's like any kind of investment. You know, uh, how does a bank convince me that I should put some money into an RSP? How does an insurance company convince me that it's a good idea to buy a little bit of insurance? Sometimes it's mandated, like the, the province says, I have to have car insurance if I want to drive on the road, uh, but often it's a choice. So how, how, do I, how do I convince somebody or how do they convince me to make that choice? And I, I think it's got to be focus on the uh, long-term gains and not the short-term wins. Yes. Uh, short-term wins are, are, are deceivingly simple. They're 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 easy. They're nice. You get that that dopamine hit in your brain. Uh, it, it feels good to have something fast. But we're we're living in a society that's way too fast. We're we're only concentrating on tomorrow. And we're throwing away our future. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a general attitude. I think a mindset of society in general that we have to kind of work to correct. You might say. Or, to, to adjust people's mindset, to think more long-term and invest in their futures, not just, and, and this is all over, it's not just in your job and in your company. I, I, I'm thinking things like environment and education and some of those really bigger issues. We really need to be thinking further ahead about the impact that we're having today. Also, I'll put a Wayne Hetherington spin on this question. I'm going to try and summarize everything you said. It's kind of okay. like you know agile is not a diet that you go on it is a sustainable way of life and during these times we thought this covid thing was going to be a dip and then it would be over but we're finding that it's not so we need sustainable ways and means so innovation can't be just a special room on the ninth floor it has to be a way of living and breathing for organizations so now more than ever coaching and Agile mindset, agile practices must grow, must scale. I think you can yeah. put that. I think you put that in a cover letter. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I might just take that and uh, you, uh, go for use it as a tagline, maybe. Eh? I hope everyone does. I hope yeah. that gives you a tiny competitive edge because sometimes that's all you need. Hey, I want to ask you, Wayne. Do you remember the moment when you knew that agile was going to be your jam? Like, yes, I'm going to be an agile guy. I'm going to be a coach, a scrum master, whatever. Uh, I remember. Yes, I, yes, I do. Um, maybe not so much in those words. I didn't know exactly where the where the, the career path would take me, uh, that there was even a thing like a coach at that point. Uh, but I remember being quite uh, taken with the agile methodology. We were working in a small startup company doing some medical software. And uh, we were using, I, I don't even think that we were using a formal um, life cycle methodology. 
uh, at all. It was it was mostly ad hoc. But I remember we did have a very long QA cycle because uh, there were some pretty stringent quality requirements around medical software, as you can imagine. And so we had a we had a really really long testing cycle. And because we were just a startup, uh, we had to respond quickly. We had customers or or potential clients who want were interested in the product. They would make some suggestions, and we had we would tell them, you know, you got to wait uh, nine to twelve months before we can get this out to you to to review. And and they walked away, and we hmm. lost business. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, it was the downfall of that startup. The the startup ended because we just couldn't uh, become financially self-sustaining. And I think it was probably due to the fact that we were taking far too long to get uh, product into the customer's hands. So um, our, our management realized this at one point as well. And they said, we got to change our methodology. We got to get stuff out faster. Let's try this agile thing. And that was back in around 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And uh, some contractors came in who who knew this new new thing, and they they showed it to us. And that as we started to work with it, just in the first oh I don't know first month maybe two, it was like a night and day difference. I couldn't believe how you could put the same people on the same project writing the same code in the same room, and you could have a completely different outcome. And wow. Yeah, it was just incredible to me to see all of this happening. And we started producing stuff uh, really, really quickly. And uh, nothing else had changed except for the, the process that we were using to do it. And it was an agile process. Uh, at that point, it was like light bulbs turning on for me. Why didn't we do this before? And why doesn't everybody do this? It just makes so much sense. Did you have, before you saw that home run, because I always say, you want Agile to spread, you got to start with willing minds. But when I first saw Agile, I didn't like it. It's like, I don't, I don't want to sit in a team room with all these people. Where, where's my desk? Where's my chair? Right. And it was different enough that I, you know, we didn't have a proper induction. We were just doing it. So for the first bit, I didn't trust it. Did you have that moment of, uh, I don't know? Uh. That's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to remember back, and I don't think I really had a, a serious doubt. Uh, and I'll tell you, probably one of the reasons why is because we had some really reputable consultants come in, and they were very knowledgeable. And I could tell almost from the first day that they knew exactly what they were doing. They they almost exuded a high um, degree of trust. And so when they in and said you need to do this and this and here's why it just it just made sense like i trusted that they knew what they were doing and that they were going to give us information that was going to help us and we were going to get better do you and, do you bring that into your practice now because i'm guessing every time you meet a new client you encounter the call it 10 percent not yet trusting active resistors um questioning is this the right move because it means change and it means you're going to have to leap and that's scary for some people so when you meet people like that on new teams what are some things that you do to build trust so that they can have the same experience you had 
another really great question, Chris. I, uh, you're hitting all the good ones here. Uh, and I think that that's an important aspect of where I've come in my career because I've walked in in the past into a company or a team and I just assumed that everybody would you know, naturally want to do this just as much as I would. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And it's uh, blowing up in my face and it's not worked very well at all. So uh, one of the things fairly early on, I realized that I needed to be able to do was see how other people were reacting to this and try to view it from their viewpoint, uh, almost like an empathy thing. That's why I, I, I love the empathy uh, piece and it's a big a big piece of coaching uh, and I really try to give emphasis to that or conscious thought to that uh, because it is scary for some people and it's different for every person so I, I have to realize that going into a, a new client or or talking to a new individual or even somebody I've talked to a couple of times in the past they're they're going to be looking at things differently for me and I can't step in and make assumptions about how they think about things or how they feel about things and I, I, I really have to spend the first little bit uh, building that rapport with them, uh, gaining their trust and then being able to trust them too, that they'll tell me how they're doing, things they're feeling, uh, what they need, what they don't need. And then from there, I can I can sort of build up the, the, the coaching that will be most beneficial to them. But I can't do that without that trust first. And could you walk us through, maybe even an example that you can recall what do those steps look like? How do you get that empathy? How do you get that trust? Is there a thought process you have or an actual process you have? Uh, well, I think it's a, a it's part of the change management uh, type thing where I, and I'm continuing to learn more, but I can't say that uh, I'm good at it or I'm definitely not an expert. I'm, I'm learning as I go. There are no experts yeah. in Agile. Though. Isn't that the whole point? See, I think <laughs> well, we're too hard it. on ourselves because mastery is a journey yeah. and Agile teaches us that. So uh, yeah. I don't don't need you to be an expert. I just need you to be Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and hopefully Wayne's not sucky uh, so bad at it that he really uh, does a bad job. Uh, but uh, no, I, yeah, sort of, yeah, I've studied a bit uh, and, and I'm continuing to study the, uh, the change management and uh, how people react to change. And and the coaching styles that that you can use to to help people with that, and uh, building trust is is probably the the basis. It's the it's the bottom of the uh, dysfunction pyramid. It's the beginning of a coaching conversation. It's the basis for your whole entire agile transformation if you're trying to do that in a in a company. Um, is there a formula? Uh, I I don't know that I've come across any particular. By step formula, uh, I think there's a couple of models out there that may be useful, um, but uh, it, it's going to be different for every person and different for every circumstance. E even the same person on a in a different situation may react a little bit differently. So, uh, uh, trust is one of those things where you you just need time with with the person, and you need to be honest and uh, communicative, and you need to to reserve enough time and enough communication to build start building that trust and once they uh, once two people see each other being honest with each other and doing what they say then the trust comes naturally after that so so I think you're too hard on yourself you said that you don't have a secret formula but I actually heard you say what your formula is spend the time put yourself in their shoes so get out of your own head and get into theirs 
I think underneath all that is listen and be vulnerable. True? Uh, yeah, I think you've got probably all the all the big uh, buzzwords for <laughs> but all, and all of them are, are they're buzzwords because they're true right um, and they're important to keep in mind but easy to say hard to do yeah right yeah, but as uh, as you said spending the time matters a lot yeah absolutely I, I think and this is where it comes in uh, you asked me if I had a uh, an example that I could think of uh, in my most recent engagement of course, I've come across uh, a number of individuals. Some are a little more um, open to coaching and accepting of it. Uh, and some are a little shyer, a little quiet, and they're reserved and to the point where you have to draw them out. And uh, I've got a couple of couple of people whom I've seen that in, and I'm very cautious in my approach. I don't want to push them too hard, um, and I want them to know that I'm there to help help them not to make them do something that the management has hired me to do. So in those cases, I spend extra time with those people and I communicate with them the way they want to be communicated with. And I make sure that I'm listening to the concerns that they have. I actually take notes about it. And when I come back uh, for a follow-up coaching session, I'll refer back to those notes. And if there were something that I heard in the conversation, a phrase or even a couple words that I thought were concerning, I'll make a note of that and I'll, I'll come back and I'll actively ask, hey, how did you feel about this thing? I, I thought last time I heard you say something like this and uh, I was worried about you. How, how are you doing with that now? And, and I'm hoping that that connection with that person on a personal level will build that trust that helps us to you know, make it through harder things later on. You know, you raised a really important point, and I bet a lot of people miss this, that when you have coaching conversations, take some notes, store those notes, and before, you know, because we see a lot of people in a day have a lot of conversations in a day. Next time you meet that person, you need to dig into the memory banks and remember what happened. And a therapist wouldn't dream of leaving a session without jotting down some session notes. But as coaches, I'm willing to bet many of us don't do it. It might be. I, I know it's it's hard. Uh, I started doing it specifically for a uh, as a consultant because I had to keep track of where all the clients were, and it was it was unfortunately it started off more as a billing thing. You know, how many hours are you spending with this client and hours with that client? But it quickly turned into more than just hours. I was making notes and, and because we had several coaches that were working with the same client, I specifically tried to write my notes that uh, in a way that another coach could come along and pick up on and then be able to continue the conversation. And, and I just enjoyed that so much. Uh, it was useful not only for the other coach, but I think more useful for me. So it, it focused me during the conversation, but it also gave me the detailed notes that I needed to pick up the conversation a week down the road when so much has happened in between. You know, I'll, our secret weapon is post-it notes. So I will <laughs> jot down, I'm not kidding, I'll, I'll jot down the three big bullet points from the session, you know, needs, takeaways, revelations, the big stuff, and I'll photograph them and, and pop them into Evernote. Like that works great and it takes about 30 seconds. 
Right. Right. No need nice. to, to make it an overhead. Um, so one of the things I like most about you, Wayne, is that you're immediately relatable. You're so easy to talk to. And so you always feel like you walk away from the conversation having met and spoken with a really strong colleague. And I really enjoy that about people. But what do you think your superpower is? <laughs> oh, the superpower thing again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Somebody asked me that a while back ago. Um, I don't know. At that point, and I'm not so sure this is true anymore. I think it is probably true. But uh, I, I answered, my superpower is smile. Smiling. Just be happy. Um, I, that's a, that's one of the things I, I that I really enjoy about coaching and agile in general. And and one of the things that I find most disappointing too is that I really think people should have fun at work. I, I think work should be an enjoyable thing. That you like your job. That you want to get up in the morning and go into work because you you're, you're having fun at it. And I, and I I don't see that at times, and it concerns me. So. Part of my job as a coach is to find out why. How do we make your job more fun? How do we get enjoyment into your work? How do we make you smile when you think about work? And I think agile and coaching is a great way to do that. The thing that bugs me though uh, a little bit about agile is that sometimes it turns militant almost, and it it you know it almost makes people cry rather yeah. than smile, and and that just bugs the bugs me like crazy. I, <laughs> I hate when that happens because I think Agile is being misrepresented and it's not being applied in a way that it should be applied. Oh, I tend to agree. So this leads into my next question. This is the deep think question is what do you think, Wayne, the industry really needs right now? What do I think the industry needs? Um, I think we're in a, in a time of deep change. We're going to shift tremendously in the next couple of months. I'm hoping that uh, the shift is going to be a positive thing. Uh, it's not just a question of whether we work from home or whether we go into the office. I think companies are going to have to become more agile if they need to survive in the economy. Mm-hmm. Those that aren't willing to change are probably, you know, like the evolutionary thing, they're going to die off. Uh, so they're, they're, they're going to need to be able to change and they're going to need coaches to help through that change. So we as coaches, as, as we're talking about our jobs and the things that we want to do in the future, uh, I think that we need uh, severe honesty and a real concern about the, the clients that we're helping. It's not just about giving somebody uh, a playbook and saying, here, go, go follow this recipe and your cake will come out of the oven nice and done at the end, because it never does. It never works that way. And I think that's what makes people so upset about it about Agile is it it doesn't work because the coaches there maybe really aren't concerned about making it work. They're they're more concerned about, uh, you know, following a rule or, or, you know, giving the client what they're asking for, even though it may not be the best thing for them. Uh, you know, if we're going to survive and we're really going to help companies, I think we really need to be honest and honestly concerned about the people that we're working with. I agree. and. I don't know if I'm summarizing incorrectly. Let me know if I captured this right. But we have to shift the focus from productivity and strictly a software quality or a software uh, speed concern to a business sustainability and innovation. And, you know, one of the things Agile is best at is pivoting. 
So from a survivability perspective, teaching companies how to use agile thinking to shift according to rapidly changing and devastating changes to customer demand probably is the new master skill. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think you're right in that. Uh, I think that that was probably the skill beforehand, but that we've deviated maybe a little bit from that skill or, or we weren't quite as focused on that skill. Well, now we have to be. Uh, pain is always the greatest motivator. So if an airline or a bank was surviving and if they weren't as profitable as the stakeholders needed them to be, we just up the fee somehow and we, we correct the revenue shortfall. But now we're talking about you're grounded. If you're an airline, there is no business. Like the, it's, it's cut down to a tenth of what it used to be. If you are um, the Scotiabank Center, you know, um, meaning the, the place where the Toronto Maple Leafs play hockey, and you relied on that for revenue, it's gone. We're talking about massive shifts. So I think one of the reasons why maybe now people really understand the need to be able to pivot quickly in response to shifting market conditions. That's what agile means. Mm -hmm. It's the definition of the word. We were talking about that just the other day in one of the meetups. Uh, and this, by the way, is another one of the, uh, the great things that I've seen come out of the shift in the way we're working is I used to attend some meetups in the Toronto area and mm -hmm. I enjoyed so much meeting, you know, meeting with people like yourself and uh, some of the other great uh, people in the Agile community. Uh, but it was always in person and I always had to travel to a physical location. Um, now, I'm able to meet people all over the place uh, virtually. So I, I've attended meetups in all kinds of different countries halfway around the world. And I, I'm meeting people that I would never, ever be able to meet uh, before. So uh, it, it's, it's really an amazing opportunity, I think, and part of the benefit of shifting the, the way we're doing things. But um, now, what was I going to say <laughs> before that? I'm not sure, I, but you know what? Let's 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 pivot. Let's be agile because I think one of the things again that I appreciate about you is is you said you like being happy. You like bringing that happiness to teams, mm -hmm. and what's so critical in that is something that you just did. You took something that many people around the world see as a negative, and you embrace the flip side of the positive, saying, "Well, I can't be around my friends. I can't." physically be in touch with the people at work times are challenging customers are drying up but i get to get i get to stay in contact with and meet people around the globe it's all for you it's all upside and i think that's a very rare quality so i admire that in you but allow me then to just talk about something to do with community what about toronto for or toronto is special. What makes such a great community in this town, in your opinion? Um, well, lots of different factors. I think uh, probably the greatest factor is the is the quality of people in the agile community. So, so I'm talking um, Toronto in an agile context, right? Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, the, the, the quality of the people that I've come across is, is super high and really great uh, colleagues to work with and uh, to bounce ideas off with. Uh, I've, I've never seen an area where you can just like go on LinkedIn 
throw in a question and you'll get an answer back same day or sometimes within an hour. Uh, I, I just did that a couple of days ago. I, I had gone through a value stream mapping exercise with the client and we had come up with a nice, uh, what I thought was a nice value stream map, but I just wanted to sanity check it. So I uh, yeah, linked in a colleague whom I know was uh, an expert in the in the field. There are some experts, I think. Uh, and uh, I asked him what he thought of it. And sure enough, within hours, he was back and w totally willing to volunteer to have a look at what we did, give me some feedback on it, point out some things that he thought might improve it and all free of charge. And, you know, we just help each other so much. It's um, a really great community. And that's just one instance of probably hundreds I, I could think of. Now, does, is that different in Toronto than in other spaces? Um, I don't know that Toronto is that much better than everywhere else because I think agile people in general are pretty good no matter where you go. But uh, the 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 quality and quantity of really great people in Toronto seems to be more so than in other places. And and maybe it's just a you know function of the size of the city. But uh, that could but be it. We we you know I get a similar answer from anyone I ask that question is that it's more helping or the helping is really obvious the the giving is really obvious but we are if you think about it we're the head office for all of Canada if a, if a company especially a tech firm has a head office the chances are seven and ten it's here in Toronto so this is where the community happens to be whereas in in the states maybe it's a little more distributed and it's in little pockets. And so because the numbers are smaller, maybe you just don't feel the sense of the community being that strong. But I will say, and you put it best, it's both a quantity and a quality thing. I think that the people here are just different. There's something about the Toronto community that, as you say, we're more giving. It's not that we're more knowledgeable, but there's, for example, some of the people that have been on the show, like Shahin and Trish, they're connectors. Mm -hmm. Not only are they sharing their information, but they're bringing people together so that the forum exists in the first place. So that's real community building. And I think that's a distinction too that I've noticed. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Um, I've probably seen more meetups and, you know, it's sort of semi-social. It, like it's, it's, it's not just a get together for drinks. It's, it's here, we're gonna talk about our industry, our trade. Uh, but it's not business either. We're not here for money to, to make a wage. We're here to share ideas as a community. And I've seen more of, more of those types of gatherings and meetings in Toronto than I have in any other place. Yeah, I would agree. Wayne, what do you hope is next for you? What do I hope is next? Uh, well, I'd like to be able to continue to, uh, to work with companies and teams and individuals to to help them have more fun at work and bring their smiles with them um i'd like to grow that yeah past technology i, I see agile getting into all kinds of different things agile and hr agile and marketing agile and sales uh, you know agile in, in business there's the whole business agility thing and i think there's so many opportunities to branch this into lots of different areas um uh, personally, I'd like to see myself get into helping organizations as a whole take more of an agile approach. So it's not just the IT department. It's, uh, it's, it's I think, similar to the business agility type of approach. 
uh, and and helping uh, larger businesses, maybe not huge enterprises that they're so entrenched and slow to move that it's difficult in those organizations, but perhaps a little bit smaller organization to really embrace the the ideas of agility. And I think too, and this is this is a question I've been asking any any client that I've been dealing with. You know, you had some business plans, you had some backlogs, you had some products you were developing before COVID, and then this huge thing hit, and it's changed the world forever. Uh, what is your what is your business plan? What is your backlog? What 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 products are you offering now, and how have they changed since before? And if they're the same and nothing much has changed, then you got to really wonder, what are we doing as a company? How are we responding to this massive worldwide change? This is a this is a change point forced upon us. We can use it to our advantage or we can let it crush us. What are we going to do? And if there's no change inside our company, we got to wonder why. What are we doing? This it should change. It needs to change. And so, let's take a look at that and see how it can change to our benefit. That's a great and powerful question. And going back to what we discussed earlier is what would you tell a new coach or a new scrum master on how to add value so that they can find clients and get meaningful work and get some experience? I think that's such a powerful question to ask. And let me, let me summarize it. How have you changed or how have your priorities changed because of the 2020 shifts? And if they haven't, why not? Yep, that's a perfect rephrasing of the question. <laughs> Excellent. And I, I don't know if yeah. I don't know if you could hear my sharpie, but but I was I actually wrote that down because it's such a great question, Wayne. <laughs> I, I want to thank you so much for for doing what you do and doing it the way that you do it. I really appreciate you spending time with me today, and there's so much wisdom that I pulled out of of just you know the little Wayne Hetherington things that that uh, I don't often see elsewhere. I love your positivity. I love bring the happy. And I love your powerful question of how have you changed? And if not, how come? So thank you so much for that, Wayne. It's great to see you and spend time with you once again. Well, Chris, uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me along. And and again, that's one of the things I appreciated about you is as in many of the agile people in the Toronto community, you're one of the ones that, that bring people together. Uh, even this show uh, oh, is, is, is just amazing. It's an opportunity for us to sit down and chat and connect again and and hopefully connect with the people who are listening too. So thanks for the opportunity and it was uh, nice to talk to you. My great pleasure. Good to see you, Wayne. Let's do this again. Okay. Thanks, Chris. So what'd you think, guys? My big takeaway is bring your happy, bring your smiles. I think when you show up with a positive mental mindset, positive attitude, it's a game changer for coaches, for scrum masters, for anybody really. Listen, I'll leave some contact info in the show notes so that you can reach out. But I want to thank Wayne for joining me tonight, and thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time.